This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to be joined on Football CFB today by former Watford and Ipswich goalkeeper Scott Loach, currently at Barnet, had played for England under-21s and was a runner-up in the European Under-21 Championships and was also um, called up to the senior England squad on several occasions as well. First of all, Scott, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. Yourself? Yeah, not bad at all. And as I say, I really appreciate the fact that you've came on because... In terms of your career, it's an interesting career, as we'll find out when we go through, but I want to start with the international side. What was it like being involved in that under-21s team? Because it was a very successful team. Um, yeah, it was kind of surreal, really. I, I remember getting the call to say I was getting called up. Um, and obviously, I was I was just shy of 21 at the time. So I remember going out to, uh, funny enough, we played Ecuador, but it was out in Marbella. Um, and I remember just turning up at the airport and, and meeting the lads and, you know, the likes of Tom Huddleston and the team and obviously Tom Heat and the goalkeeper as well and, and a few others that I, I wasn't really starstruck, but I was kind of like, whoa, this is, this is like big time kind of thing. And, um, but kind of just really took it in my stride. It, it didn't really affect me. It's something I didn't really think about um, until I actually got out there and started trading and just thought, wow, look, just look where I am kind of thing. And in terms of the tournament itself, how did it feel to, to get into that squad? Because getting into any international squad, especially an England squad at any age level, is, is never easy. No, I mean, obviously you've, you've, you've got to put it down to ability. But I think at the time I was around that kind of age group, there wasn't too many playing first-team football. Obviously, Joe Hart stood out. Um because obviously he, we all know how good he is and, and the career he's had. Um, and then it was just myself, obviously Joe Lewis, who you'll know at Aberdeen, and then Tom Heaton. But I think Tom Heaton had struggled with injury that season, so there was only really me, Joe, and uh, both Joes that were playing consistently. So um, to get called up and, and, like you said, to be involved in the major tournament is something that I'll, I'll take to my grave and um, be very, very proud of. You mentioned Joe Hart there. Just how shocked are you that he's still not got a club? Because a goalkeeper that's achieved so much in the game. Um, yeah, I, and people may think I'm being biased because I've worked with him, but he's one of the best I've seen, definitely in the flesh. Um, you only have to look at that season that Man City won the league on goal difference. He was a big factor in that and all the golden gloves he's had. Yeah, he had a bit of a dip in form. Um, I think harshly treated, maybe. I mean, if you look at the likes of De Gea and Kepa and people that are going through that kind of thing now, they're still regarded as world class, but it seems to me because Joe's English and the, and, the, and the press, it's kind of like, oh, he's finished. But in my opinion, he's had no worse of a time. If not, he's had a better time than them guys have had. But for some reason, um, he's not classed as highly as them at the minute. That's the thing. It's, it's Football's a, a strange game like that. And, and as a goalkeeper, what's it like when you make an error? Because 
I always think if you're a midfielder and a striker and you give the ball away, the chances are more likely than not it won't lead to a goal. Whereas for yourselves, it's unique in the sense that if you make an error more often than not, it leads to a goal being conceded. Just how how do you deal with that mentally? Because I always think goalkeeping's a position that you have you must have to be really mentally strong. Yeah, well, this is something I've definitely learned over the course of my career. Um, when I first got in. When I was a young lad, adrenaline kind of played the part. I was just, I was just like a kid in the playground. I was just happy to be out there. Um, so I didn't really think about it too much. It was just kind of, oh, let's carry on playing. And then there was a time where I think this is the big issue as a goalkeeper. I started overthinking everything, and obviously I can't speak for De Gea, and they're they're miles ahead of of anything I've ever achieved. But it just looks to me that he's overthinking every save at the minute and that's probably why things are going through him because he's trying to make the perfect save and as I've got older and played a lot more consistently I've definitely felt that it's just part of the job it's a job if you make a mistake get on with it just save the next ball because as a goalkeeper you're always going to get a chance to make the next save um, and I think it's a case of doing your job and not overthinking everything and if you can't catch it just make just keep the ball out of the net really and that's definitely something I've learned and and I think that's a big factor of goalkeeping. If you look at your likes of your Allison and your Edison, and they're never flustered. They're just very calm, very casual. If they make a great save, it's the same reaction as if they make a mistake. And I think that's what you've got to do moving forward. I want to get your perspective on the early beginnings of your career when you were at Lincoln, because what I find unique is the fact that you went out on loan a fair few times, but you went out on loan to, to what I would call real non-league level. What was that like? Because... I imagine there was many physical strikers in those divisions. It's funny enough, I'm doing a bit of coaching in a minute. I had this conversation last night and um, I was basically saying to the young lads, just get out and play. Um, it was It's obviously nice being involved in a professional environment, but in training as goalkeepers, you can get worked, you can get worked, you can make saves. But you know, until you're playing at that men's environment, and whether that's for £20 a week that they're on or beer tokens afterwards in the bar, that point or that three points that you might save or might cost means something. And I think that's what you've got to learn, especially at a young age. I know a lot of people say oh, it's about taking part, but I think you have to learn to lose and learn to win to kind of de develop. And that's what I was big into as a young kid. I just wanted to play games competitively. Um, and I think that's that kind of what helped me have kind of a bright start and a quick start to my career. One of the things that I also find intriguing is the fact that, if I'm right in saying Lincoln didn't offer you professional terms, but you then joined Watford, I mean, how, how does that come about? Um, well, like I said, I, they did. It was all a little bit, <laughs> just a bit of confusion, really, what went on there. Obviously, I, I spent my first year out on loan quite a lot, as you can see, and then I managed to get into the reserves, and a player called Jack Hobbs, actually, that ended up going to Liverpool and having a good career and played for Leicester Hall. Um, Nottingham Forest teams like that a lot of teams were watching him as a young kid and I managed to get into the reserve team and play I only played one game for the reserves and there just happened to be a host of scouts there but I did well um, and obviously Watford came in and said we, we want to take you on trial with you to to signing you and this was before kind of negotiating started for, for my pro contract and Watford offered me a four and a half year deal you know and, and Lincoln offered me £90 a week for a year and it was it was only, only verbally said, and I think they knew and I knew that it was never really going to happen. So, uh, and I couldn't turn down Watford at the time. Am I right in saying as well that when you went to Watford, you also had a trial at Leeds? 
Well, AD Boothroyd actually, I actually went there on trial with a view to a loan because they were in that, when they first went down to League One, they were in that in administration. They couldn't sign anyone. Um, so because I was under the age of 20, I could actually technically go as a youth loan. Uh, God, I loved it there. Obviously, Gus Poyet and Dennis Wise were, were the managers and I did the whole pre-season there. Um, went to Germany with them, you know, played all the first team games, played at Ellen Road against Wigan and stuff like that. And, you know, even the crowd then following us to, to Germany for pre-season, I was like, whoa, what is this? And it went really well and it turned out they actually wanted to sign me, but they, they couldn't because, because of the transfer embargo. So, um, you know, you, you look back and think what might have been if, if that had gone through and had gone alone there. But, you know, I came back and I came back a better person and, and more of a man for it. And that, that season I ended up going to Stafford Rangers in the conference and then straight on to Bradford. So that might not have happened if I'd gone down a different career path and Leeds had been able to sign me. And in terms of Watford, what was it like when you just went in there? Because Watford were a club that were... They were on the up, and, and when you go in, they, they're obviously a Premier League team. Ben Foster goes there on loan at the time, he was a young goalkeeper. What was it like training alongside those guys? Oh, unreal. I mean, Ben's got this physical presence that, well, he's just, he is where he is because everything about him, his awe, his, his agility, everything about him. I mean, it was unreal to see him in the flesh. But the best thing that actually happened to me, I went to, so if we go back to Lincoln, I, I went to, Watford in the March, finished that season off, got promoted, um, came home for we had something like 10 weeks off that summer because of the World Cup and stuff like that. So it's kind of like, oh, I moved away, came back home. It was like I moved back down and then it was a bit of a shock of a shock to the system. But I broke my foot early on, uh, end of August, I broke my foot in training. And it was kind of the best thing that happened to me in a way because it, it just gave me a chance to kind of sit back, watch the guys train, watch the Premier League environment because obviously it was a massive step up from Lincoln and it kind of showed me it, where I was and where I needed to get to. Um, so that I kind of used that as a blessing in disguise just to try and soak everything in and take everything in. And in terms of Eddie Boothroyd, what was he like as a manager? Because obviously he's working with the, with the England um, youth setup at the moment, but he was a manager at that time that was very highly regarded. Yeah, he was a young manager at the time and I've been spoiled with managers at Watford. Um, all had the different qualities. Um, Eddie was very good to me, liked me. Um, very good at getting the team together. He was, he knew what we were about. He knew what Watford were about. Um, obviously, I didn't only played a couple of games with him towards the end, but sitting back and watching, he was quite direct with his methods and and stuff like that. And he had, uh, he liked the long ball, the physicality of it, and stuff like that. But um, he didn't care about anyone else's opinion. He he kind of gelled that squad together and made everyone hard to beat. Uh, and that's what I liked about him. It, it, it was kind of his Watford against the world and he looked after his players and, that, and and you can totally see why he's in the England setup because he's a very clever man as well. He's not just a direct manager, he's um, he's into his psychology and stuff like that so I can see why he's good with the young lads as well. I want to ask you about a young Ashley Young because a lot of people forget that he actually was at Watford and that's where he really made his name. What was he like in training every day? Because at that time, we know him as a sort of fullback now but back then he was a flying winger. Yeah, I don't know too much about the story because obviously about him getting in the team and that there. I just know that I, when I went there, there was him, Marlon King and Darius Henderson and Ashley Young. There's nothing to him. I don't think he's changed body weight or size or age since since I've known him. But he, he just had this knack of, of what you see now, running down the left, cutting in, on his, cutting in on his right and delivering that crossing. And it was kind of like everybody knew what he wanted to do and was going to do and couldn't stop it. And... Um, 
players get to that level for a reason. Um, because because their ability and their work rate and, and their mentality and, and that's what I do remember him as he he was obviously I was young, but he was a young kid at the time. Um and looking at him in that environment, nothing phased him. Uh, he's mentally strong and you could see that he was only going to go one way in his career. And you mentioned the fact that when you're at Watford, you have a few loan spells. Stafford Rangers being the first one in the conference. But one of the ones I really want to speak about is Bradford because they, although they were in League Two at the time, an absolutely massive club. And, and Stuart McCall, an iconic manager as well. Yeah, I mean, when they came, I remember getting a phone call saying you're going to Bradford. And it almost didn't happen because before he was in short and I was like you've got to let me go this is a this is a big big club and I remember walking out and I was thinking well at the time they weren't getting far off crowds that Watford were getting and if you walk in that stadium they've got the big side in the, in the back behind the goal it's like wow do you know what I mean and and Stuart McCall was great uh, I remember their keeper left well was due to leave and then came back because it fell through but McCall rang me and he said look you're going to play don't worry about it I've brought you in for a reason um, very good man manager I was travelling from Nottingham every day and I remember the odd Monday, it was like, just stay at home today. And uh, he, treated, he treated me very, very well and, and gave me every opportunity to go and prove myself. And in terms of that team, who were the big characters at, at Bradford at that time when you were on Um There was one striker called Barry Conlon. Um, and again, this was kind of a wake-up call to me because obviously going from Lincoln and as a youth team player to seeing like, you know, I like to call it the old school, lower league players. So then going to the Premier League, back to like the, and then being in the environment of the, it was, you know, it, what I found was just a team full of men. The mentality was different. And I can't really pick anyone out individual, but the whole atmosphere and that, it was so good to be involved. It was just fun every day. Like, you know, little pranks and, you know, I had a car school with um, Paul Heckingbottom, who in fact has just been made 23, he, he managed Leeds and, and Barnsley for a bit. And so, I was with seasoned pros like that, and but what I found was everyone was together in that kind of environment. There was no 23 squad or reserve squad. It was kind of like, right, we're all in the change room. We're all League Two. We're all Bradford. That's it. Let's go. One of the things that, again, I, th- I find curious, you were on loan at Bradford, massive club, but they were in League Two. You then go back to Watford after that season and, and you start playing regularly for the first team. Did Eddie Boothroyd make it clear that when you returned that he wanted you to be playing at Watford regularly? Um, I remember the goalie coach came to watch me against Stockport and had a really good game and I know at the time that I don't know who the other goalkeeper was that they were looking at it could, it could have been John Ruddy because he was playing for Stockport but there was a kind of looking at another young keeper uh, I remember the goalie coach afterwards saying no Scott's the one we'll stick with him um, and what happened was I went back pre-season I played every single game pre-season more or less um, but he had Mark Poom if you remember him on the books as well and to be fair AD called me the week, the, the day before the first game. Said, "Look, I can't, it's, I can't risk it. It's, you know, I've, I've got, a, I've got a good experience." And obviously, I was a little bit down, but I took it on the stride. And I think three or four games later, it was Pumi got injured, and I, I was kind of in, and and kind of went from there. You, you mentioned the fact that you get the break in the sense that Mark gets injured, you get in. Were you nervous at all going into your first few games in the championship because it was another step up? Well, obviously, the first game was the ghost goal that everyone kind of... So, I've just come on. I remember the first thing I had to deal with was a goal kick. And kicking's one of my biggest strengths. I kicked it about 10 yards. It looked like I'd never kicked a ball before, obviously, through nerves. And literally, minutes later, 
a cross came in. It's one of them ones that come all the way through and you end up having to make a save and have to chip over the button. I was thinking, what is going on here? Um, then the ghost goal happened and I was like, this was all within 10 minutes of my debut. And I was like, what the hell have I entered here? Like, it was bizarre. And then uh, I think Jimmy Kebe it was, came running through and I made a really, really good save actually from him and that kind of settled my nerves. And then from then on, it was just kind of like, just that's what I was saying to you earlier. My, the first few years just felt like I was just playing on adrenaline and like a kid in the playground, really. And in terms of Watford that season, Aidy Boothroyd leaves the club, Malky Mackay's caretaker. Then you get Brendan Rodgers coming in. And, and, and I think I want to get your perspective on Brendan because there's no doubt in the fact he's a very successful manager. He was very close to winning the league at Liverpool. He was incredible when he was up here in Scotland with Celtic, doing a good job at Leicester as well. But for whatever reason, it just didn't quite work out in a sense at Watford where he wasn't there for... It, well, it, he wasn't there too long, let's say. What was what, what was he like? He was unreal. Like, so far ahead of his time. Um, like I said, I've been spoiled. I've had, if we quickly go to Malky, he he put me straight back in. Because um, obviously I got injured under Boothroyd. He put me straight back in, which, which led to Brendan playing me. Because Brendan was obviously in the stand for two or three games that he saw. Um, so Malky put me straight back in. And he was an unbelievable man manager. But the way Brendan set things up... Uh, um, the way training worked, the way it flowed, his methods. Um, we actually went on a run that took us out of relegation. We weren't in relegation, but kind of floating with it to end up comfortably mid-table. Um, he was very good at, he built a good young team. He built, built a good core of young lads that all kind of became mates and wanted to play for each other and stuff like that. Um, I think at the time the club was going through like a threat of administration and stuff like that. And, I remember one meeting actually only a couple of weeks in to his reign when we had Birmingham. Um, he wasn't too sure if he was going to be there. So obviously I think it was behind the scenes that he wasn't comfortable with. Hence why I think at the first opportunity he got, he, he jumped ship to Reading. Well, that was the thing. When he came in, it was a, a tough situation and and he did well to, to turn the fortunes around, as you've said. But in the end, he decided to to leave again in the summer. Were you disappointed when he chose to leave because of how... He trusted you and he was he was playing you week in, week out? Yeah, I mean, he gave me a new contract. He trusted me, he played me. And obviously then I was thinking, oh no, what next? If a new manager comes in, uh, is he going to bring someone in? And obviously because it was all new to me, I'd never been used to kind of seeing a new new gaffer, do you know what I mean? And, and the change of a team. But luckily they, they appointed Malky from in-house. So that, that obviously helped. So I was got to see him leave. Um, but, you know, it's... He was going to leave one way or the other because look at what he's gone on to do. So it was only going to be a matter of time anyway, whether whether he went to Reading that summer or got a better job, even for everyone down the line. When Malky comes in in charge, you play every single league game that season. Just how important was it to have a manager that, as you've mentioned already, clearly had full faith in you and really believed in your ability? Okay, Malky kind of took from Brendan, I think. Obviously, his training was different, his methods were different, but... He brought in like your Danny Graham, your Marvin Sordell, your Eddie Mariapa, Tom Cleverley's, Henry Lansbury. I mean, that's for six young lads straight away. Do you know what I mean? And he built a young team with the likes of then your John Eustace is in there, who was your experience. And I think Malky just trusted the young lads to go and play. Um, and I think that's that's why we all kind of we, we did for, for for a young team. We did we did well. You know, we didn't we weren't playoffs, we weren't relegation, but I think the trust Malky installed in us, we knew that we could go and express ourselves and kind of 
get away with things. Not that we was all making mistakes left, right, and centre, but I think the way he man managed us and controlled us as a group made and made the environment really enjoyable. And I'm a big believer that if your environment and your workplace is right, then your performance is going to be good. And I think that's what Malky got spot on with us on. In terms of your time at Watford under Malky, as, as we've referenced, you were playing regularly, you were performing well, and there was a few injuries in the goalkeeping department with England, and you end up getting into, called up to the England squad. Just describe the feeling of getting into that senior squad, because absolute superstars left, right and centre. Yeah, well, Malky rang me actually one night in my flat. We were due to play Aldershot in the Carling Cup or whatever it was, in Worthington Cup, and... He just went, you sat down? I was like, no. And he was like, well, sit down. I was like, oh God. I was like, don't know what had happened here. And he went, you're going with the England team tonight? And I was like, Jesus. He said, you're coming to Aldershot with us, you're not going to play a cup game. You're going to go straight to the Grove Hotel afterwards. I was like, Phew. didn't take it in, went straight to the Grove. And obviously everyone's in bed by the time I get there. So the first thing I've got to do in the morning is walk down for breakfast and I'm walking into this room full of Gerard Lampard and people like that. Luckily enough, there was, you know, your Joe Hartz and, and Johnson and people like that from the 21. So I kind of eased into it. I wasn't too bad, but uh, being amongst them was, you know, surreal. I didn't, we didn't get to train though that first time because obviously the game was that night. So it's kind of straight in down for breakfast, back up down for that and then straight to the game. And obviously walking out to Wembley and <laughs> doing the shooting before the game with with Gerard Lampard really in that, I think I had more of a sweat on than I would have if I played the game. I mean, I was getting no, I was getting nowhere near anything. Um, but it was an incredible, incredible evening. Um, like I said, some of the some of that I can't forget. I've, I've got got my England shirts. Maybe not. I've got a cap, but the fact that I've got printed up England shirts of being on the bench in the squad is is something that I hold as prized possession. In terms of those guys, Gerard's, Lampard, Rooney's, etc. What are the guys like in the dressing room when they're preparing pre-match? No different to what you you would see anywhere else, and that and that, I think that's people expect them to be robots, but they're humans. You know, they're just but they want they're just so they're professional. They're just the professionalism. They're just they're just prepared. It's it's hard to explain really. Um, it's just the quality in them. Like when I did eventually go back again and got to train with them, and you see. They never have a bad touch, they never have a bad pass. I mean, I think Michael Carrick could unlock my front door with a pass, the way he zips a ball around, you know, it's things like that, which looking back now, I don't know why I was so surprised. The guys, him and Gareth Barry and players like that have played over 500 Premier League games. And But, you know, when you, you've gone from watching it on the TV to being in the flat, you just realise how good these players are. And um, I think that, that that's why, that's just, the, that's just the level of it. It's... Um, I remember seeing Stephen. They just don't in shooting. They just don't miss. That everything's a side foot. Everything's a placement. No one, no one ever whacks anything. It's, it's kind of like you just don't get near anything. They don't give you an opportunity, and, and that's why they're at that level because they're so so elite, really. When you trained with England, now obviously to get into England squad, you have to be a quality player, and you won't be in it. But were there any players who? Obviously, you knew they were a quality player, but when you trained with them, you thought they're even better than I thought. Yeah, like I just said, Carrick and Gareth Barry. I mean, your Gerrards, Lampards, etc. stood out like a sore thumb. But I think everyone just looks at... I've been guilty of it before. We call ourselves armchair fans, don't we, sometimes? And you think, oh, what do they actually do? Or Carrick makes a pass, Barry. But when you see them in training, they control the training and they're zipping passes through two-yard gaps and stuff like that. And 
that they're the ones that really really surprised me and it's, it's the size of them all as well they're they're, they're all lean they're all, which they should be they're professionals but again when you see them in the flesh you think they've all they've all got this aura and presence about them as well and um that's the thing that kind of shocked me as well everyone just whether they was five foot ten or six foot four they all seemed to have this this bubble around them that was just giving off this presence and I guess that's why they are where they are. And in terms of Fabio Capello, what was he like in and around the training? Did he lead the training or was that delegated to his coaches? A bit of both, really. He was quite quiet. He, he, he kind of walked around. You could see he was taking everything in. Obviously, he took the team talks and the um, and the meetings and stuff before games. But I think, is it Baldini, his assistant? Yeah. He took a lot. He took, he, he took a lot, yeah. And really good guy. Um, obviously, the Italian methods are so, so different to ours. I mean, the goalkeeper training was something I never experienced before, but stuff I've actually picked up and used in my own. Some of it good, some of it bad, but um, yeah, just completely different methods to, to what you're used to over here. You were linked with um, Tottenham when uh, you were in and around the England squad, linked with Tottenham. When you've been in, that, in and around that England squad and you're still in the Championship, is there party that thinks... Right, I really want to get to the Premier League here. There was, but for me at the time, I remember speaking to Malky and I was 22 at the time. Played 100 games in the Championship. Um, Malky said, look, we'll give you a new deal here. Just stay and play. The move will kind of happen. And at the time, and anyone that knows me or if you've heard about me, my, my cat, I'm, not, I'm not an aggressive character. I'm quite calm. I'm quite laid back. Uh, you know, I just kind of get on with it. I'm on my own little world sometimes. And I was just like, oh, okay, let's, let's just do that. But obviously, looking back now, you could say I might have been a bit more forceful. It was an opportunity that maybe would never come again. But then would I have gone on to play all the games I've played or, or gone, do you know what I mean? So I kind of, I don't regret it. Um, it's just one of them things at the time, you, you think you do the right thing and you could argue and say, well, I went on to play an extra 200 games in the championship kind of thing. Well, I've gone to Spurs, been a number three, and then dropped. But who, who knows? Um, but obviously now, looking back, you think, yeah, you could have been a bit more forceful and then gone there and, and, and thought, what if? One of the things you mentioned earlier when it came to the likes of Gerard Lampard, etc., is that you need to be fit to be a professional footballer. Now, the statistics show that you were clearly fit and you were dedicated to your craft because you played 130 competitive league matches, I mean, in a row. Just, just what was that like? Because... I imagine when you're playing week in, week out, especially as a keeper and you've got that number one jersey, you just don't want to let up. No, I think, obviously, a lot of it's down to trust. I mean, I've just done it over the last three seasons, albeit at Hartley, Paul and Barnet, I've just done 150 in a row, but I do look after myself. Um, I'm very... I'm not a fussy eater, but I sometimes beat myself up if I have... So I try and... Mentally, I have a state of mind that I feel like I need to be in to play. Um, I'm a big believer as well that you're never 100% fit. I think you always play with a knock or a dead leg or a tight back or something like that. So I'm one of them that would rather get through a game sometimes instead of instead of take a break. But that's just my mentality. I want to play every game possible, whether it's a championship game or an FA Trophy game or you know whatever it is. I want to play as many as possible because I want to look back over my career and say I've reached this amount of games and stuff. Um, but no, I, I do keep myself fit. I look after myself. Um, but I think that's more been driven into me from where I've been at a high, you know, looking back and seeing players at a high level. And even now, I look at, 
your Pepe Reinas, you know, he's 37. Ben Foster, 37. Yes, they're good. They're great goalkeepers. But you don't just play because you're a great goalkeeper. You play because you look after yourself as well because there's plenty of goalkeepers that have stopped playing at the age of 33. So um, I want to play as long as I can. And kind of every day I'm studying different things and looking at different people. And people call me busy and all this. But, you know, we, we want to have a long career and, and see where it goes. Am I right in saying that when you were a kid, obviously Ipswich were your club and you were there and then as a kid you leave them. So was that a big factor when they came in? It was a case of, that's my club, I'm going. Yeah, uh, obviously I grew up down there. Obviously born in Nottingham, moved down there, grew come back. But um, the first team I went and watched was Ipswich. And obviously back in the day I was a big United fan. You know, Schmeichel, Cantonar, Beckham, that team growing up. Um, but then obviously my dad took me to Ipswich and I fell in love with them. And it was actually rumoured to be happening a year earlier. So uh, I'd kind of been waiting on it for a year. And I just maybe looking back, I was a little bit like a rabbit in the headlights. Uh, but I wasn't going to turn down going to play for a club that I went to watch as an eight-year-old, you know. So it's a club that I love dearly. I'd love to go back in some capacity now and, and still be part of them. But um, very, very grateful for the opportunity to play there. And one of your first games when you're at Ipswich, which, as you've said, is a boyhood club, you save a penalty. Just describe the feeling that is, because I imagine as a keeper, that's like scoring a goal, really. Oh, yeah. To save a penalty at Portman Road is up there with me playing for England. Um, it, was, it was unbelievable. I mean, the save looked a lot better than it was. I mean, hit the, I think I saved it, hit the bar, hit the post, rolled across the line and went out the other way. So it was kind of, you could almost say it was a bit of luck as well, um, like it was meant to be. So. Uh, yeah, unbelievable feeling. I mean, to play 33 games for the club that I watched as a boy is, is something that I won't ever forget. You know, it was, um, like I said, I always think it could, I'd love to go back there as an experience number two or number three in the future and, and just be part of that, that club again. Really enjoyed my time there. I know it was cut short, but um, again, it's a special club to me. And in terms of Portman Road and the club as a whole, Especially being based in Scotland, Ipswich have got a rich history. You think of the, the Bobby Robson era, like Alan Brazil and that team that was doing well in Europe back in the, the 70s and 80s. Just how big a club are Ipswich? Because they're a club that clearly have loyal fans because they stick by them even when they're, when they're in League One. I first noticed it when I went there for Watford on a Tuesday night and they went one nil up after about two minutes. And the noise, I was like, was deafening. Um, it was one of, I'm not just saying it because it's Ipswich. Um, it was something I thought with Jesus. and But when you actually go to live there, the football club's the heart of the town, you know. It's it's not the closest of places to, to to live to other big cities. And, you know, the town needs the club and the club needs the town, if that makes sense. And, um, you know, it's the heart of the community and I think the club do well to kind of keep the fans on side. And I think, I, I call it a family club. I think it's always been a family club, even from when I remember being there as an eight-year-old to, to be back there as a 24-year-old, it's a family club and I think that's important for them because I think they both need each other as much as, you know, as, as well, they need each other, they both need each other equally. So, um, it'd be nice for them to get back to back to the Championship and pushing again. But, you know what football's like these days, it's not it's not as easy as people make out. You've got Sunderland and Portsmouth and that in that league as well. It's not, it's not easy anymore just to bounce back. Following Ipswich, you go to Rotherham under Steve Evans, a big character. What was that like? Because you were there and also the few loan spells that season. Yeah, I struggled to be honest. Um, you know, I, I kind of this is when football kind of hit me, and 
it wasn't all plain sailing. Um, I went to Rotherham basically to a couple of reasons, really. One, it was like, oh, championship club, let's, let's just go back to the championship from Ipswich. And then me being from Nottingham, my family being from Nottingham, I got the chance to move back home, which I hadn't done for years. Um, prop, did I rush it? Yes. Did I take my opportunity? But no. So I'm going to be honest. I got given opportunity. I did okay. Not not brilliant. Um, and then Steve wanted to send me out on loan and get me some games. And I went to Bury, and I really, really struggled with Bury. I just didn't. I didn't connect there well. I didn't have a good couple of games, and I came back, and that's when I really had to sit back and kind of really reevaluate football a little bit, and that, and start to realise it's a job. And like I said to you, I think because I played all them games at Watford consistently. I'd never really been used to being out of the team. But I found that kind of a little bit hard. And, um, you know, luckily I went to Peterborough and Yeovil and had two really good loan spells and then uh, kind of got me got my love back for the game and wanted to start playing games again, which is hence why I wanted to leave Rotherham early and, and try and get as many games as I could. See, in terms of being a goalkeeper, I mean, I, I, I've been honest about the fact I've, I've struggled with my own mental health issues in the past. And I always think as a goalkeeper, you maybe more likely than other players to suffer from mental health issues or, or, or anxiety because you think of a dressing room, all the outfield players, if you're having a tough game, there's plenty of people you can speak to that understand roughly what you're going through. Whereas I always think as a goalkeeper, it could be quite lonely because although you've got a couple of fellow keepers and the goalkeeping coach, other than that, most players don't have a clue what it's like to stand between those sticks. Mine was just overthinking everything. Um... And I did feel a lot of pressure, but probably pressure I was putting on myself. Obviously, going from Rotherham to Bury, Bury were having a right go at it. I was excited to be there. So I thought this is a chance to go and get promotion. But then I was thinking, oh, God, I've got to perform. I've got to do something every game that kind of stands out. And that's when I got caught out. Um, it wasn't until Jimmy Walker, who's funny enough to the goalie coach at Ipswich now, contacted me saying about Peter, saying Darren Ferguson wants you in and needs, needs a keeper for a month emergency loan. Uh, and I went in and Darren Ferguson sat me down and just went, I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what happened at Bury, what happened at Rotherham, don't care. I've played against you before. I like you. You've done well. Come here and enjoy it. And it was almost like, oh, someone someone liked me again. Do you know what I mean? And just gave me that massive boost of confidence to kind of kind of kickstart me again and, and get the love back. And in terms of Darren Ferguson, what was he like in that month? You mentioned the fact he, he puts you at ease when you come in by saying, I don't care. And in those regards, I've interviewed Darren and I have to say he came, he came across very, very well. He came across as a guy who, very determined, and like you've just said there, he knows exactly what he wants and he, he doesn't beat about the bush and tell him. Yeah, I remember my first session, actually. We did this... Um... We did this kind of a wave game, this pattern game, where it was kind of unopposed, and but there was balls going everywhere, and lads just couldn't score either. Not not because I mean I was training well actually, but they were just missing targets and stuff like that. And he just went right, everyone in, and he's like, "If you want to waste my effing time, I'll waste yours." We're back out here at two o'clock, and I was like, "God, this guy didn't mess around." But the lads had ultimate respect for him. In and around the place, he was unbelievable to be around. But when you cross on that white that white line, it's like, right, we're here to work. I don't care who you are, we're here to work. And he treated everybody the same, no favourites, you know, or or enemies. And it was, and I think there's no no wonder why he's had so much success at Peterborough. Notts County, talk to me about that them as a club because a very historic club, a club who uh, one of the, the first founded really 
um, in English football. They were a football league club for for so many years. Obviously, they're not anymore. But what was it like there, playing there? Because you mentioned the fact that Nottingham was where you you, you liked living. So, what was it like when you were you were playing in Nottingham? Oh, I loved it. I mean, like I said, I just wanted to. Uh... To, after the Robin thing, I just wanted to go and get games, but at the same time, kind of be settled instead of just chasing it here, there, and everywhere. And uh, they had Roy Carroll at the time, but I know the goalie coach really well. And he was like, you know, Roy's getting on; he's got a year left him. If that, you, you'll get in, kind of thing. So I knew I was going there, and I wasn't going to start straight away. But everything came like we planned. I got in. I had a really, really good spell um, for the second half of the season that I was first there, and. Really, really enjoyed playing. I mean, it's an unbelievable club. Uh, very, very good club. Great fan base. Um, and then I believe I just became a victim of circumstance. You know what it's like at lower levels? Managers change and they bring in their own team that they've perhaps had for two or three years at other teams in League Two. And a manager came in and he's just like, look, I'm bringing someone else in. That, and, and that's what it was. So I kind of found myself back to square one again. So it kind of it hurt me a little bit because I'd finished the season off really well. I wasn't really given a chance to kind of prove myself at the start of the next one. But, um, you know, that, that, that's football, really. You went on a loan spell to York City. I might get my dates wrong here. Did you get the chance to work with Jackie McNamara at all? No, he he was involved in the club upstairs, though. Um, yeah. The goalie coach, though, was um, Hinchcliffe, who's now at Motherwell. Um, if you know him, he's, he was a very, very good guy, very good goalie coach. And um, and that was the thing. I was sick of just sitting on the bench. And I thought for the last two or three years, I've chased games, tried to get get the thing. And, and York, they were struggling for relegation, but they're a massive, massive team, you know. They're a massive team. And I just thought, go there and play 10 games and, and see, where it, see where it sends you next season. And really, really enjoyed my time there and really made me kind of, again, reevaluate re football for different reasons. Was there any apprehension at all from you going down to the National League? Because there's this sort of media element when it comes to football where if a player's been in an England squad or a player's been high profile at one point in their career or for most of their career and they go down to the National League, there's a lot of focus on them. Was that Did that bother you at all? No, I, this is what I mean. I had to realise I, I, I could have gone to certain league clubs and but my biggest point was for two, three years now, I've kind of been in and out, 20 games here, 20 games there. And I thought, I need to go and play. I need to go and show everybody that consistently over a season, I can still do it. I'm still about. And not that you ever guarantee games, but I wanted to go and get as many games as I could over a short period of time. Because the level between the conference and League Two is not really that big. And there's some big teams in there. Um, I just wanted to show everyone, look, I want to play football. And I kind of think it's the best thing I've done. I went to Hartley Four, played 100 games on the bounce, uh, got player of the year and players played two years running um, and kind of just wanted to send a message out there that, look, I'm, I'm good enough to play and I just needed them games consistently. In terms of Hartlepool, one of my, my friends within football, Craig Harrison, what was he like to work with? Because he's a guy who, very successful in, in, in Welsh football, but... It didn't quite work out for him at Hartlepool, but he's, he's still, he still has fond memories of the club. Yeah, I mean, I've, for what I've done over the last three years and hopefully what it could potentially lead to, I, I owe Craig everything, really. He gave me an opportunity when not many really would. He stuck with me and played me. He, he, I remember one of the first conversations with me in the, in the gym. He was like, look, I trust you. I want to play. Just, just go and do your thing. 
put that kind of kind of what Malky did, you know, put that put that faith in me. And I'd also say, I've said it before, I think he was probably a victim of circumstance. The club was not run by good people. Um, obviously, the fan base is big up there, and there's a lot of expectation for us to bounce straight back up. And you know, a lot of people don't know about the stuff behind the scenes where the kit went missing and we couldn't get it back because we didn't pay. He wasn't allowed to bring anyone in to change stuff. And um, also, he, he brought a lot of lads in that probably couldn't deal with uh, deal with the pressure. I mean, he brought, he tried to bring a lot of local lads back to play, and I don't think it kind of worked out for him. And but not just saying, I don't think he could really do any more for them. Um, I think he was probably, I think he was at the right club at the wrong time, if that makes sense. Um, just just for kind of what was going on behind the scenes, but unbelievable to work with. Got a great environment around the team. Um, I really enjoyed every minute of him. And like you said, he's he's not just a, a good coach. He's a really really good guy. One of the good guys in football. In terms of Hartlepool, I've interviewed Jeff Sterling. Did you ever get a chance to come across him during your time at the club? Yeah, but it's strange, you know, because he's just a really big fan. Like there's us watching soccer Saturday night with your mates, and then when he sees. It, they're playing Borenwood away and he's like buzzing off you kind of thing. He's like, this is this should be right. You shouldn't even know who I am kind of thing. But he is he is naturally a really like happy go like Hartlepool fan. He loves it. He's uh, always smiling. He's a great guy and I mean the, he's a credit to the club really. I mean to someone like him to be involved in a club and, and them again to compliment each other it's great. It's a great set of fans and a great club and um you know, it's just, it's just. I'm just laughing about it now. I remember driving. I remember me and my friend Nicky Feverson driving back down the A19, and we passed him. And when he realised it was us, he was like this out the window and stuff like that. I was thinking, he generally loves party ball and, and who plays for him. And, it, and it's, you know, it's great to see because it just shows you how humble and normal he is. You know, that's brilliant. And I think, as you say there, I love the fact that. He's passionate on screen with, with Soccer Saturday, but as you've said, even even when it comes to off screen and things people don't hear about, he just, as you say, he lives and breathes the club. And for him to be yeah. the club president now, he must be must be mad for him. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, he loves it. Um, he he'll treat Hartlepool like it's Man United, you know. It's he loves it, and um, <laughs> through everything that was going on at the time, he was he was right in the mix of it, and. When they came out, the, you know, when they came out the dark times to the good times, he's, you know, he's, he's like a kid at Christmas. He loves it, and it is really, really nice to see. Actually, when you see him at games, he's always got a smile on his face. He knows who every player is, and um, it's just quite refreshing, really. And I've got to ask you about Barnet because Barnet are a club that. The interest me in the sense that they were a football league club for many years. We all know about the spell they had with, with Edgar Davids, and I know Martin Allen's been there <laughs> hundreds of times. It feels like, uh-huh. but. What what are they like as a club? Because they seem to have a good setup in terms of stadium, etc. Yeah, I mean, Barnett came calling, and, and the manager had a call with. I knew I knew after speaking to the manager that I was going to go there. Um, I don't think I'll be long until he gets a very good job as well. He's a he's a proper football person, likes to play it the right way. Um, really, really good guy. And I think the reason we got to the playoffs this year, but obviously down to the squad itself, it's one of the best dressing rooms I've been in, but. I think he made the environment so good and made everyone so enjoyable that it kind of galvanises together. Um, you know, I had a bit of interest from in the league last year, but due to to locations and geographically, I couldn't I couldn't go. But I actually had a bit of interest in Scotland as well, but I couldn't go because I've got a young daughter that's started school and stuff like that, and a two year old, and it just wasn't the right year for me to move. So I thought if I can go to Barnet and kind of carry on the form I'd had at Hartlepool. 
then then kind of see what happens from there. And loved every minute of it to get in the playoffs. Um, like you said, the infrastructure is great. The uh, the stadium's great. The training ground's great, and everything everything is is in place there to go up. Unfortunately, we just fell short this year. So, um, but no, it's been a really enjoyable year. And like I said, I've I've kind of continued where I left off at Hartlepool. Really, I had a really good season of forty five games, and um, you know, hopefully that's kind of opened everyone's eyes again. Now I've played one hundred and six yard games in a row, and I feel like I'm ready to kind of. Well, I know I'm ready to get back into the league. I, I just feel like I need that opportunity and I feel like I'm, com- I'm a completely different goalkeeper now. Uh, so it's just hoping something can come up and we can kind of move forward. Well, I hope so. That's something that I do wish you well with. And in terms of Scotland, you mentioned interest at this stage. Previously in your career, when you were coming towards the end of your time at Watford, etc., was there ever any interest from Scotland around that time as well? Uh, I don't really know. You, you read stuff. I, I read one thing in the paper once, but it was it was the Sun, so whether it's true or not, no one will ever know about about Rangers. Um, but not true. I had a little bit of a link with with Motherwell when I was at Hartlepool before they got Gillespie, just because of Hinchy, who I worked with at um, at York. Um, but that 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 was that that was it really. Um, it's something that definitely appeals to me. I mean, the league. You you in the I mean, you're in the spotlight every week. A lot of games on Sky, aren't they? And and for me, I'm not just saying it because I'm on the phone to you. I think people kind of get a little bit misled by by the Scottish League. I think it's just Rangers and Celtic, but they're forgetting Aberdeen's a big club. I know Hearts have gone down, but you know, for for me, living in Nottingham, playing at Hearts would be like playing against Forest for me. You know what I mean? A big ground, Hibs. You know, there's some there's some good teams in there now, and not just good teams, good fan bases, and. <laughs> That makes it hard as well. That gives you good experience of playing them hostile. Like Motherwell, they're always up there competing. It's not it's not an easy league as what people think. I think, you know, people think they'd just come up there and beat them and, oh, it's this and that. Cause, but but it's not like that. It's it's definitely getting better and stronger. And yes, I know Celtic are kind of running away with it. But it's um, for me, looking on the outside, it's, it's a really appealing league. And you can see why no, there's no wonder a lot of players got there and do well from it. Absolutely, and, and it's, a, it's, it's a league that, as you've said, down, down south and in other parts of the world can sometimes be looked down on, but if you actually watch a game, or especially when fans are in, it's quite a passionate game up here as well, and, and what I always say to people, especially down south, that maybe don't watch a lot of it, you clearly have knowledge of the game, but you get some people that don't, haven't really watched much of it, and I always say to them, if you come up to Scotland and do well, you'll, you'll get a good move. I mean, there's been so many examples where a player or a manager. I mean, look at Steve Clark. Steve Clark had a couple of difficult spells in management and assistant management. Comes up to Kilmarnock, does a great job, and then gets a Scotland job, and he was linked with the likes of Fulham, etc. as well. So it can certainly change people's career around. And you look at guys that have come up in the last 10 years towards even the end of their careers, the likes of like Jody Morris and Michael Dubry, and they've got nothing but good things to say about Scotland. So it's definitely a league that I think maybe players down in England and you've mentioned it yourself should should definitely consider because I think if you come up here and do well one you might get a move to one one side of the Glasgow divide or the Edinburgh divide or you get back down south to a good level yeah well I look at it from a goalkeeper's point of view I mean Fraser Forster went there as a young kid ended up playing for England and Southampton Dan Randolph great move from Motherwell down here Gillespie's just gone to Newcastle Trevor Carson was probably going to go to Celtic but it fell through so they're just names I can reel off, you know, that I know from the goalkeeping side of things. And Kieran Tierney's just come down and, and won the FA Cup. 
for Arsenal. So it can't be that bad of a level, can it? Um, I mean, I went to watch Celtic when they won the, when they beat Hearts two 0 My my brother in law is actually an, an Irish chap. He's a Celtic fan. We went up there and watched them when they beat Hearts to win the treble a couple of years ago under Brendan Rodgers. And you're playing in front of sixty odd thousand people. So um, that's if that's something that players want to do, then it's I don't see why you wouldn't throw yourself on that platform to go and do it. Absolutely. And just before you go, Scott, a few quick fire questions. Favourite sport outside of football? Oh, to play or watch or what? Both. In what way? Uh, I like to watch the basketball. I think it's unbelievable. Um, to play? Uh, oh, good question. I'm going to say basketball again. Like, Yeah, I'm not very good at it, but I don't mind playing it with my mates. Yeah, it's not bad. You're the first player to finally not say golf, I have to say. Yeah, well, I like golf and I'm playing golf tomorrow. I'm just uh, I'm just not very good at it, I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I like golf more for the... It's a good sport, but I like it more for the... Uh, what's it called? The social aspect, you know, playing yeah. with mates and that's a good day out. But, but for actual sport, for physicality and professionalism, probably basketball. In terms of football, where's the, 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 the strangest place you've ever visited in terms of... A place you maybe never expected to go? Macedonia or Lithuania for, for England and Tony Wands. Both surreal countries. I mean, so great and honoured I got to go. Um, one was... I mean, Lithuania, it was like... It was strange. It was the coldest place ever, but had the best internet in the world. It was, it was incredible. You could download about six, <laughs> download about six films in an hour. Um, and then Macedonia was just kind of how you'd expect it to be, but but I never had the opportunity to go to a place like that, you know, and it was um, just somewhere you'd probably never think you'd go in your life, but I enjoy it. In terms of your sale, favourite band? <sighs> mm, see, I'm a rock fan, you see. So, uh, I'm going to say sit on the fence and go Red Hot Chili Peppers because they're kind of in between, but I'm prone to the old Slipknot song and that when I'm driving in my car, so I do, uh, I do apologise to anyone that hates metal and stuff like that, so... I like all genres, but mainly, yeah, let's say Red Hot Chili Peppers or, or Coldplay, something like that, someone easy listening to. You mentioned uh, downloading the films in, in Lithuania. Um, are you a film man then, or do you prefer box sets? I vary. Uh, probably box sets, you know, when um, I love box sets or like, I love conspiracy things, you know, um, stuff like that. Any, anything that kind of gets my brain working and gets me thinking in loads of different things and... You know, you can ask me one thing one day and I'll have an opinion on it in the next. You know, I like my conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Um, but no, it's nice to sit down with a wife and watch a box set every now and again. So, yeah, the Netflix just edges it for me. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Lots of coffee. Coffee lover, yeah. <laughs> Beer or wine? Uh, vodka. I'll go in between. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of um, goalkeepers, who would you say has been your favourite goalkeeper to watch when you were growing up or while you've been playing? Um, my favourite one as a kid, Peter Schmeichel was my hero. Um, at the minute, I can't decide between the two Brazilians. You know, Alisson makes goalkeeping look easy. Edison should be a number 10 or a midfield player the way he plays. is unbelievable. And then, or, or Jan Oblak, I love Oblak. He just simplifies goalkeeping. He's one of them that's old school, just makes a lot, lot of saves. So they're probably my, uh, they're my top three at the moment, definitely. Ronaldo and Messi. Ronaldo. 
why. We all know Messi is unbelievable, but just when there seems to, just when you think Ronaldo's gone and finished, he, he does something else. He, he wins another award, another record, and he just pops up when he, he seems to get written off a lot more than Messi. And let's be honest, I can't choose between the two, but I just love the way Ronaldo hits back at his critics everywhere he goes. People say he's finished, he's finished, and then he goes and does something like 11 games in a row again or wins another title. And I think after watching his documentary, no doubt Messi is the same, but his professionalism and that and the, and the shape he's in and that for his age, he'll probably, he'll probably still be at that level when he's 40. Best players you've played with? Jack Wilshere, when he first got into the under-21s at 16, he was head and shoulders above everyone. He, he was unbelievable. Um, that's obviously sharing a pitch with... Um, that's thinking of, you know, there's like a lad called Danny Graham at Watford just for pure, for finishing and the way he worked, great as a striker. Um, if I think more recently at Hartlepool, there's a guy called Nicky Featherstone, midfielder, that at that level to control games at that level and, and then actual football. They talk about non league, but the way he plays football. Um, uh, and obviously, training with you, like, like I said. I can say Gerard Lampard and that, but the ones that will stick out, like I said, is, is Gareth Barry and, and Michael Carrick. I'm not really sure why, probably because I didn't expect them to be that good, but they were they were unbelievable. Toughest direct opponents? Um, can you remember a striker called Alan Lee? Was he Scottish? Big Alan Lee? Thank you, man, mate. Happy. Played for Ipswich, um, Norwich, Huddersfield, teams like that, and Crystal Palace. But I knew whatever, whatever whenever I played against him, I knew... The first cross in the box, I'm getting elbowed, I'm getting cleaned out. Um, and he was tough in, as in the fact that physicality, he would just put me on my arse, if I can say that. He would he would go straight through me. Um, very, very good at what he did, physical. and But obviously, toughest player. You know, I mean, we were one up against Chelsea. Went one up against Chelsea after 75 minutes in the FA Cup and thought, here we go. But and now Karan, he scored a hat trick, and all he did was pass the ball into the net. So um, I won't forget that he made he made it look so easy. It's like he just he, he just steps it up, and and then Aston Villa actually. I remember Gabriel Bonnehol. I couldn't move. I remember they had a corner. You know, they put a man on you in the corner. I, I could not move. It was like someone who just he, he just used his body. He was so strong. Um, so they're the ones that kind of stick out to me really. Is there a particular ground that you would say is a bogey ground for yourself? The reason I ask that is because the guy Alan Smith, who's on Sky a lot, always talks about Old Trafford because he's never scored there. And he says that when people mention Old Trafford, there's been this great ground. He says, oh, not for me, isn't he? I just, I just have bad memories. Southhurst Park for me, I think I've lost 4 0, 3 0, 3 1. Never had a good game there. Uh, not that I've made like direct mistakes there, but. It's probably been games where they've had three shots, three got, and it's just one of them games I've been hammered every time I've been there. Um, not a nice place to go. Great crowd, great team, obviously, but just a hostile environment, and I've just always seemed to come out the wrong end there. Biggest character you played with and why? Oh, biggest character. In regards of a joker or just to, uh, as a as a good person? As, as really a joker or just somebody who was absolutely mental? I mean, I was with Jimmy Bollard for about a month at Ipswich and that was enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, great guy, unbelievable character. Um, 
just had to change your room on strings where really. he, he could he could be your best mate one minute he could be bantering you the next minute you know and I was only there for a month with him but he's, he just sticks out as you know I think everybody in football knows what he's like and um, incredible to work with close, close closely and um, probably at Watford I'd probably say as a character people expect this probably John Eustace because he had a young team around him he was a seasoned pro at the time and the way he he gelled everyone together and was and as a guy and a character in that way he was he was right up there as well Did you play with Danny Shittu at Watford and if you did what's he like because I've heard I've heard lots of stories about him that he could be quite scary yeah, you've not seen the thing where, he, well, he's built like a fridge. He takes his shirt off and walks up and down the tunnel, like shouting and roaring before the game. <laughs> and obviously, yeah, trying to intimidate opponents. But as a guy, one of the nicest guys you'll come across, you know, very, very softly spoken. And But, you know, you don't, you don't want to mess with him because he's got some weight that he can shift, I'll tell you that. In terms of managers, who would you say was the best manager in your career for you? For me, I'm going to have to say Melky. Uh, I was sport at Watford, like I said, I've been sport recently with Darren Curry and um, some of the guys I had at Hartlepool. But uh, Malky was the one that, yeah, he, like I've explained earlier, he, he was great in all aspects and played me and trusted me and was just very, very good all round. And um, his staff, the coaches, everything he had and the whole team, it was, it was just great to be involved in. Most underrated player you played with? Do you, know, do you know who Don Cowie? Remember him? Yep. He was one of them players. What a guy as well. What a lovely lad. He was one of them players that you kind of, at the t- at certain times, didn't notice what he was doing. But as soon as he didn't play, oh my, it's like the team felt like he was so good. He's so energetic, technically brilliant, very professional. I mean, if you did a bleep test today, he'd still be running tomorrow. He's so fit. He's. Uh, I thought he was very underrated. I thought he went under the radar a lot. Um, and obviously at that level in the championship at the time. So, yeah, I'm going to say Don Cowie. Last question, Scott. You've been relieved to hear in terms of your, your career. You've, you've played championship. You've played England under 21. You've been in the England senior squad. You've even played National League in various loan spells as a kid and then is a more experienced pro. So, I think you're well placed to answer this. What advice would you give to any young player listening to this? Just go and play. Um, just find the place and play consistently. Don't do what I did when I went to the Rotherham and then start chasing the games. Uh, maybe if you have to take a drop now and go and play for two years, take a drop and go and play for two years and then see where you are at the end of that. Um, see where you are 100 games down the line. Um, I think playing games is important. I think now as a race, as a human race, we're fitter anyway, more athletic. The, the gym's more important than nightlife and stuff now. You know what I mean? Everyone looks half themselves. Um, you've got everything in place at your football clubs to to kind of be looked after. So just go and play, play as much as you can and prolong that career as, as far and take it. And, and who knows where it will go. You just might need that one opportunity and you only get the opportunity to be in the limelight if you're playing. Thank you very much for your time, Scott. As I say, it's been, it's been a good insight and, and I wish you all the best for the future as well. No, I appreciate that. If you ever need anything, you know where I am. So thank you.